write, I will sing of the goodness of God. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. So this morning, we just said we would sing about the goodness of God. As you think of God's goodness in your life this week, what would you not only sing about God's goodness, but what would you say this morning? I'm grateful for God's goodness because why? Everything. Yeah, that kind of captures the topic. I guess that wraps it up for that. <laughs> what are you grateful for this morning that you experienced because of God's goodness? Salvation. Salvation, for sure. What else? Fellowship. Fellowship together. We have to get there's so much to be grateful for. You know, I was thinking this last week in the midst of this this pandemic, in the midst of all the craziness and everything that's going on. One of the things that I'm grateful for is that because of the pandemic, we are putting this service and all of our services up on YouTube. And what is happening is amazing to me because on Sunday morning, my wife is watching and she'll tell me when I get home, there were 30 people watching YouTube, there were 27, whatever the number was. I'm always kind of curious how many people are watching online. And of course, each of those numbers represents uh, a device, either a phone, an iPad, a computer. So there's more than one set of eyeballs watching most of the time, right? So it's hard, it's hard to estimate. But what's amazing to me is, for example, I think it was last week, on Sunday there was something in the range of 30 plus or minus Sunday evening. And then on Thursday there were 82. And in my mind I'm asking, so who's tuning in and who's checking this and who's watching it during the week? We don't know. But one of the good things in God's goodness is that His Word is going forth in a way that we never would have done before the pandemic, right? And I found myself thinking this last week, I grumbled and complained a lot about all the regulations and all the can't do this and can't do that. But in the midst of all that, God is good, right? He's good all the time and all the time, God is good. And so there, there's much to celebrate this morning, God's goodness. Uh, Maggie made a quick passing reference to the Supreme Court decision that was made this week. Uh, responding to all of the lockdown and the efforts that are made in the state of New York by Governor Cuomo. And I don't know all the, all the ramifications of that and how it affects us, but I, I think uh, we can feel a little more um, together this morning that we're not going to violate protocols or whatever. We're trying to do what we can the best. We come in uh, wearing masks. Some of you still wear masks, and that works for you. Um, we're still trying to kind of follow the best we can, but uh, we're recognizing that we have a First Amendment right this morning to gather together to worship. Are you grateful for that? Amen. And it's good to be reminded that there's lots of places around the world this morning where people do not have that freedom, do not have that liberty. They need it in secret. And uh, so we have great freedom. It's a great cause to the goodness of God. I love that song. That's a great, great song. God is not just good. That song says he's so good, and he goes on and says he's what? So, so good. He's good to the max. Yeah, we got much to be grateful for. The year was 1863. Abraham Lincoln was president. 
And his proclamation for Thanksgiving that year included this paragraph. This year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the very watchful providence of Almighty God. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy. Abraham Lincoln got it right, didn't he? You just think of everything he captured in that, in that little paragraph. And so what struck me as I was reading this, this proclamation, his Thanksgiving proclamation, the year is 1863, so what's going on in the U.S. that, that year? Civil War. Civil War. And so in the midst of the Civil War, in the midst of all that that included in terms of death and injury and everything else that was going on, there's a, a heart of gratitude in the heart of our president. And his acknowledgement was not just gratitude, but gratitude to who? Almighty God. Because that was my first impression. I love Abraham Lincoln. Now my second impression was, can you imagine what would happen in contemporary culture if our president's proclamation used phrases like the most high God, providence of God, sin, those, those kinds of things. We live in a culture that would react to that how? Obviously. And I just think in the midst of uh, all the pandemic stuff, I don't know how that compares with the Civil War. I think the Civil War is a lot worse, actually. Um, we have much to be grateful for. And so this morning, as we celebrate Thanksgiving and this Thanksgiving weekend, and as we bring our focus this Thanksgiving weekend to the cross and to Jesus' death and sacrifice for us, I wanted to do kind of a comparison between coming to the table at Thanksgiving and coming to the table at communion. There's four important words that uh, I love to hear on Thanksgiving before we're hanging out, waiting for the meal to start. And those four words are, the Dallas Cowboys win. Sorry, Chewy. Those aren't the words I'm waiting to hear. Um, I don't like hearing the words, get out of the kitchen, right? What you want to hear is four words that say what? Come to the table. It's time to eat. You know, And we look forward to Thanksgiving. We look forward to, to being together. And I, so I want to kind of do a little comparison this morning. Because there's, there's four critical things that happen at Thanksgiving. Four critical things, I think, that speak to coming to that table where we gather with family and friends, and then coming to the table of communion and celebrating Christ's death. Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in this context, he's writing to the Corinthians, of course. He's writing to this group of believers who have a lot of difficulty in their church. They have a lot of conflict. They have a lot of disharmony. They have a lot of discord. There's divisions. And Paul has rebuked many of their attitudes. He's, he, he's rebuked their attitude where some say, I'm of Paul, I favor him. Others say, I'm of Apollos, I like Apollos. And there's these divisions and schisms and splits in the church. 
And in the midst of this, in, in chapter 11, he begins in verse 1 and says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. And then he says, Now I praise you, because you remember me in everything, and hold, hold firmly to the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. But he changes gears in verse 17. Instead of saying, I praise you, he now says, I don't praise you. And his reason for his not praising them is because of the attitudes and the behaviors they have when they come to communion. And so in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Those are awful words. When you come together, it's for worse, not better. For in the first place, when you come together as the church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and in our sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined. Disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. And so Paul is addressing the Corinthians, not in an attitude of praising them, but rebuking them. But out of this chapter, there's four things that strike me as I think about the communion table, and I think about a Thanksgiving table. The first thing is, when you and I were growing up as children, before we came to the table, what was the last, first and most important instruction that mom gave you? Washing hands. hands. So the first thing that's important when you come to the table at Thanksgiving, and especially when you come for communion, is that we come with clean hands. I don't know about you, but uh, my mom was pretty pretty insistent about us watching, washing our hands. Uh, did your mom inspect your hands when you came to the table and said she washed them? Uh, mine did. And I've always been a little um, antsy when I go to a restaurant to eat. I watch the server and where they put their hands. I remember uh, running into a Carl's Jr. one afternoon and grabbing a drink. And... The guy who picked the cup up picked up the cup by the drinking surface and handed it to me. And I instructed him that the proper way to hand me the cup was to grab it by the bottom. Anyway, I've always been a little antsy about that. How about you? 
And now we live in this COVID world where we're really conscious about our hands. How many of you, I won't ask if you use the hand sanitizer. My, my hands, for the first time, I've never liked hand lotion. Never really liked. But now I'm washing my hands, hand sanitizer, I find myself using hand lotion. Coming with clean hands. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend to the holy hill? Who may come into God's presence? He who comes with clean hands and a pure heart. And so it's important not only to come to a meal like Thanksgiving with clean hands, it's important to come to communion with a clean hands and a clean heart, if you will. And that's why Paul speaks to the Corinthians about coming to the table and not taking time for self-examination. Coming to the table in an unworthy manner. And I believe that when he speaks about coming in an unworthy manner, he's speaking to them about the attitudes they bring, the behaviors they bring, not giving proper reverence, not giving proper attention, proper care to what is a very special and very important time. And I believe in the early church, as you read through the scriptures, it's pretty obvious, maybe not every single time, but most of the time, it's pretty clear in this passage, that when they shared the bread and the cup together, they shared communion together, it was in the context of a meal. And Jesus and his disciples, of course, shared the Passover meal. And that the first occasion when Jesus introduced the, the bread and the cup to them in that context. But Paul says to these, these Corinthians that there's a need for self-examination. A man, he says in verse 28, must examine himself. In so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And he says, because people came in an unworthy manner, many of them were sick and some even died. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Come with clean hands and a clean heart. And I'm reminded as I think of this that you and I do live in a, in a sinful, wicked world, don't we? We really do. And our lives are constantly bombarded by the sinfulness and the wickedness of the world in which we live. And there's really a need in each of our lives every day to kind of take inventory. Because we do sin in thought, in word, if not in deed, right? And so there's always a need for self-examination to come to the table with clean hands. And so the question I ask myself and the question that I ask you this morning, how are your hands? How's your heart? Do you come this morning with clean hands and a clean heart? And having asked that question, I think it's always appropriate to, to just pause for a moment. To pause for a moment to take inventory. For each one of us to have just that quiet moment of self-reflection conversation with the Lord. Lord, how are you and I doing? Do I have a clean heart? Do I come with clean hands this morning? Is there anything in my life that I need to just acknowledge, confess before you? As I come to the table, I want to come this morning with clean hands. And so let's do that together. Let me just provide us a moment of quiet for each one of us just to have that moment of reflection and and self-examination. Let's do that together for just a moment.
Lord, we're grateful this morning that you're a God of loving kindness, mercy, grace. That you're you're quick to respond when we acknowledge our sin. Quick to forgive. And so we, we're grateful this morning as we reflect and take inventory. We're grateful for your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. Lord, we would come this morning with clean hands and pure hearts. Help us to do that. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come first with clean hands. Come to the table with clean hands. And then the other thing you want to do when you come to the table at Thanksgiving time, or any meal, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, but you want to come with a good appetite, right? You want to come ready to enjoy a good meal. And I confess, there's lots of times when uh, my mom caught me kind of sneaking a snack before dinner time. Any of you, any of the rest of you, secret snackers? And uh, my mom would always respond when she would catch me in the cupboard, you know, getting something to eat. She would always say, "What? You're going to spoil your appetite, spoil your dinner." Um, I still get that now, you know. Um, my mom's not there to do it for me, but God's given me a wife, and. Uh, I, I have a, a little thing I enjoy. I do it every day. But in the middle of the afternoon, like around 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30, somewhere kind of in that time frame, I enjoy sitting out on my patio with a cup of coffee and these little cookies called Belvita. Uh, Dee got me hooked on these. The Wednesday night Bible study group by found. Any you eat those on Wednesday nights? They are awesome! And so I've been buying those puppies, and I'll go out on my patio with a cup of coffee and a package of those Belvita, maple, brown sugar, what, they're just awesome. And, and I'll be eating and drinking my coffee. And my wife will come out and see me, and you know what she says, right? It's like my mom all over again. Are, are you eating? It's almost dinner time. Well, yeah, I eat all the time. I'm good with that. You know, we're, we're not only guilty of spoiling our appetites physically. But because of the world in which you and I live, we wind up spoiling our appetites spiritually. If you will, there's a lot of spiritual junkie food in the world in which you and I live. And you and I typically, the typical American, maybe you're not typical, I'd like to believe I'm not typical, but the typical American consumes a lot of junk food in the course of the average year. And we're served junk food constantly in the media and entertainment. We're constantly munching down on the junk food of the world, if you will. And whether it's the music of the world, oftentimes, whether it's the, the movies, the television shows, uh, the various means of entertainment, even sports, can dull our spiritual sensibilities can dull our spiritual appetite. And so we need to come to the table with a a good appetite. Um, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. There you go, Amy. You you, you did the first one up. You got it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That, That ought to characterize our lives, shouldn't it? that we hunger after holiness, we hunger after righteousness. And yet the world is constantly throwing at us the the crud, the junk food 
of the world. How's your appetite? How's your spiritual appetite? Has it been dull this week by the junk food of the world? And as I think about this, there's just that, that reminder of, of what I listen to, what I watch. Um, there's just so much, so much junk. One of the things that has struck me recently, and I, I'm struggling to deal with it a little bit, is I've gotten a little tired because I listen mostly to Southern Gospel. And I've got a Southern Gospel channel on the radio in my car, and that's always kind of my first choice. I love Southern Gospel music. But I've gotten a little weary because the XM radio plays the same 50 songs over and over and over. So I got a little weary of all that. And so I discovered that there's a 60s on 6 channel where I can listen to all the great songs of the 60s that I grew up with in, in my high school years, right? Any children in the 60s here that listen to XM radio? Yeah, there you go. So here I am as a 70-year-old listening to the songs that I listened to when I was 16, 17, and 18. And you know, one of the things I've discovered about the songs I loved in the 60s, they're not all clean and moral songs. (laughs) I'm listening to the words now that I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to 40, 50, a long time ago. I'm listening to the words and I'm going, I I was singing that song in the 60s. Uh, my, my point is this. The world is filled with junk food. And we need to guard our hearts and our minds against the junk food. Are you paying attention to what you're watching, what you're listening to? Guard yourself against the junk food of the world so that when we come to the table, we have a good appetite. And we're ready for the meal that God's preparing for us. So we come with clean hands, we come with a good appetite, and then thirdly, um, we come with anticipation. I don't know how it is for you, the typical Thanksgiving, but as you get a little closer, I'm starting to kind of pre-play in my mind what's going to happen. I'm starting to pre-play in my mind the food that's going to be on the table. You know, I mean, how many times a year do you pull out a big honking turkey and park it in the middle of the table? How many times a year does that happen? Not very often. How many times a year do you have all those special foods that are specially prepared and made for the holidays? You know, in my family tradition, we had this special uh, dinner roll that uh, we just really grew to love and appreciate. We argue over what's it, what it's called. I've always called it Gooby Glops, which doesn't sound that appetizing. <laughs> but it's a crescent roll that you fill with a marshmallow and cinnamon sugar and you wrap this all up, and you put it in the oven, and you cook it, and it's awesome. And I've always looked forward to that. And you, you anticipate what's going to happen. The other thing that I anticipate at holiday meals is who's going to be there. Anybody have someone sitting around your table this last week that you haven't seen in a year? For most of us, that's true. Maybe longer. And I found myself thinking the other night, because we had kind of an unusual Thanksgiving. We did nothing normal this year. And I found myself reflecting back on recent past Thanksgivings. Who was there? I can even remember a couple of conversations I had last year. One of my nieces and I had a phenomenal conversation last year. And and so I would come to those events with this great sense of anticipation. Who I'm going to be with, what we're going to do, the conversations we're going to have, and of course what we're going to eat, right? Come with expectation, come with anticipation. 
And I think the same thing is true with the communion meal. And, and Paul speaks to the Corinthians here about the fact that they, they come with all these problems. There's divisions. And they come and, and some are drunk. Uh, some eat more than they should. And again, they, they shared the, the Eucharist, the bread and the cup in the context of a meal. And the way that they shared that meal was not in a good, positive, holy way. We come with, with anticipation. And when we come to the communion table, who, 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 who are we coming to meet? Come to meet the Lord. We're coming to have a, a, a sense of, of being in a special way um, in His presence, in a special way around the communion table. Our, our focus is on Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's, it's all about Jesus. I think sometimes we err in making communion more about us than about Jesus. We make communion easily something that um, something that we think we derive some benefit from. We derive some special blessing from. But it just seems as I have conversation with people oftentimes, there's more of a focus on me than on Jesus. That's a communion is something we share together. We share Jesus together. Are you glad for that this morning? Everything that we have, we have because of Jesus. We share in common because of Him. And one of the things that has always struck me about the sharing of the bread and the cup and about Jesus' instructions is he says more than once, as often as you do this, do this how? In remembrance of me. It's all about Jesus. And that's why Paul says here that we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. Isn't it about that thought, that sentence strike you as a little unusual, a little odd? I mean, we're a group of Christians, we're a group of Christ followers, we're a group of people who believe in Jesus, and we gather together, and we focus on Jesus, and we share the bread and the cup, and Paul says we're proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. Why do we need to proclaim Christ's death until he comes for a bunch of Christians? Because we need to be reminded. We desperately need to be do you ever get tired of hearing the gospel? Do you get tired of hearing about Jesus' death on the cross and pain of your sin? You know, every time we hear the gospel being proclaimed, we ought to be going, yes. Yes. Catherine Hankey was a British evangelist back in the 1860s. And God had given her a ministry of evangelism that apparently was worldwide because while in Africa, she became very, very sick and spent several weeks, if not months, in bed sick. And while Catherine was in bed sick in Africa, she spent the time writing. And out of her writings during that time came two of our hymns that... uh, you'll find in our hymn book if, if they were here this morning. Um, one of those is 
Tell me the old, old story. The other song that she wrote is this song. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story of unseen things above. Of Jesus and his glory. Of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell a story more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to tell a story it did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to be. I love to tell the story to be my being and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story it is pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some that have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story to be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, Twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. The whole point of coming to the table at communion is that old, old story. And we should never get tired, never get weary. Never take for granted, never treat casually that old, old story. Because it's always been true, it's true today, and it will be true for a long, long time. God loves you, right? In fact, most of us memorize that verse God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel message is that God loves you and God wants relationship with you. The God who created you cares about you and wants to have relationship with you. Is that good news? Absolutely. The challenge, of course, is the bad news part of the old, old story. The bad news part of the old, old story is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God is eternal life to those who believe. And so there's that, that sin issue, that disobedience issue. As, as the prophet Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. That's the problem. That's what separates us from relationship with God. And I'm glad that when Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. I'm grateful for the rest of the verse, aren't you? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so God loves you, wants relationship with you, and there's this sin problem, this disobedience problem, this rebellion problem. And that's why God, in, in his wisdom and providence 2,000 years ago, invaded this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life that you and I are totally incapable of living, right? And he lived that perfect, sinless life. And after 33 years in the providence and plan of God, Jesus went to the cross. And he suffered that horrible, awful death on the cross. God sacrificed for sin. But three days later, what happened? God raised him from the dead as evidence of his acceptance of that sacrifice. And what God calls on us to do in response to this gospel message is to repent, to turn from our sin and put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And that's what we celebrate in communion. That's the anticipation we have that we're celebrating all that God's done for us in Christ. All we have and all that we share in common. We come with anticipation because at the communion table, our focus is on Jesus. It's, it's, we're we're going to meet Him. It's good to be together with family and friends, right? Amen. But we come to the communion table prepared to meet with Jesus. We come with clean hands. We come with a good appetite. We come with anticipation. And then finally, we come to the table with gratitude, with thankfulness. You know, at, at Thanksgiving, if your family's like mine, usually somewhere around the table, that you know, we have people say what they're thankful for. Anyone do that at their table this year? What are you thankful for? Uh, my wife pulled out notes that we wrote a year ago uh, when we were gathered with our family a year ago uh, down in Fallbrook at my sister-in-law's house. Um, we were together, and Andrea pulled out these half pages of paper that she had prepared and handed out to all of us. And she had written down the left-hand margin the word thankful. And we were to fill in something with each of those letters. And she had kept her page and my page. And we laid them on the table last night and we're looking at them. And, you know, the focus on Thanksgiving ought to be a part of the Thanksgiving meal. Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. But we come to communion. We ought to come with, with gratitude. Any of you have that, that apron that you wear on special occasions when people come over and says, kiss the cook? <laughs> anyone, anyone got one of those aprons? The, the whole message that's being sent there with kiss the cook is what? <laughs> Man. What's that? <laughs> I'm really grateful for this cook. He's cooking a really great meal. Kiss the cook. And we, we come to the communion table with, with gratitude, with thankfulness. Um, not because someone took a great turkey or whatever. But we come with gratitude to, to Jesus for what he's done for us. You ever go online and look at restaurant reviews, like on Yelp? Um, I've got a couple of apps on my table. And, and one of the things they frequently do is they rate a restaurant with dollar signs. Am I the only one that notices this? <laughs> Someone say, yeah, I noticed that. So there's, there's, a, there's a place you can go eat, and it's got one dollar sign. And what does that mean? Cheap. Cheap. <laughs> cheap. Cheap meal. Less than two. Who's that horrible? Oh, it's affordable. No. So, oh, affordable. I think affordable. Affordable. Old ears. Old ears. That's right. So, the, the one dollar sign usually means that the meal's going to be less than 15 bucks. going to be reasonable, affordable. And then there's two dollar signs, which means it's probably less than 20 bucks. And then there's three dollars, and so it, it goes up, right? And you know, if you're looking at a four-star meal, it's going to cost you some money, right? It's going to cost you more bucks than you know, Carl Jr. or Donald's place. But I want you to realize that 
This is a priceless meal. When we share communion together, it's a priceless meal. You can't put a price on it. You can't put a value on it. And you, know, you think of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven. He gave up everything. In our men's uh, Bible study group on Tuesday mornings, we've been going through Philippians a, lot, a week ago, not just last Tuesday, but Tuesday before. We were focused on that, that passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus laying aside his glory, becoming a man, becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on the cross. And we, and we talked about that step down from, from the glories of heaven. Priceless meal. What we share together because of Jesus, you can't put a price on. We have lots of things to be thankful for. Lots of things to give gratitude to the Lord for. But the number one thing that we ought to always be grateful for is the gift of eternal life. The gift of forgiveness of sin. Everything that we have because of Jesus. And that's always the focus Hopefully that's always the focus when we gather here. It's always the focus, especially when we gather and share communion together. I've always loved that little chorus. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. That great little chorus. And so we come... With clean hands, we come with a good appetite. We come with anticipation. We come with hearts of gratitude. Come to the table. I love to hear those words of Thanksgiving, don't you? It's time to eat. Come to the table. And so we come to the table this morning. And we've given each of you here this little packet in the plastic bag with a little cup inside. I'd encourage those who are at home watching on YouTube to find something to share together. And our, our plan is for this plastic bag that after you drink the cup, you'll slip the cup back in the plastic bag so we can avoid any, any spillage. And you'll... I haven't used this since the last time we did this, but there's, there's two little openings on this. Let me give you a little instruction. One is a clear plastic on top that releases that little that little wafer, that little piece of bread, and it slides out. And so I want you to do that just now and leave the, the rest of it intact. The bread, of course, represents what? The body of Jesus. And as good as we give thanks this morning, as good as we celebrate Christ's death and believe God. It's good as we remember Him. To just stop and remember all that He experienced in going to the cross. Take your mind back to what you've read and what you remember. Take your mind back to Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with His disciples and going aside with Peter and James and John for a time of prayer. They were slept, right? And while they were there in the Garden, Judas betrayed Him to the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high priest, and they sent their, their guards, their soldiers, and took Jesus from the Garden. 
where Jesus was taken and put on trial, an unlawful trial. He was beaten. Scriptures say he was beaten beyond the point of recognition he was beaten so badly. Then he was whipped. I've always wondered about that old English word scourged. He was whipped. He was beaten. A whip with leather thongs, leather strands with little bits of bone and stone embedded on the end and that would have been laid into his back and whipped and beaten. Crown of thorns placed upon his head. Too weak to carry his own cross, right? And then of course that body was placed upon the cross with nails driven between his hands and his feet. While on the cross, he had a spear pushed into his side. I want you to think about the body of Christ that this, this little wafer, little piece of bread represents. All that he suffered, all that he experienced. In fulfillment of what we saw played out in the Old Testament with the whole sacrificial system where animal after animal was sacrificed over the decades and years and hundreds of years. That whole system of sacrifices that were made over and over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus' sacrifice as a once-for-all deal. Only needed to happen one time. Because it was the, the final, the epitome. His sacrifice. That all those animal sacrifices through the years went forward. That was the, the culmination of you. And so as you take this wafer and as you eat it, this is a reminder and represents to us all that Jesus suffered, all of the experience that we might have forgiveness of sin. up, there's another little piece that's kind of purple. Open it carefully. The scripture is pretty clear when it says, without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission. Again, in the book of Hebrews, it says that the blood of bulls and goats was not enough. Not enough to accomplish what God intended. It was the priceless, precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. The Lamb that was slain before the beginning of the world, right? Do you understand that, that concept? That in the heart and mind and plan of God, before even the world was created, the stars were thrown into space. All the way back in time eternal, God had a purpose and a plan, and His purpose and His plan was to have a relationship with you and me. To have a love relationship with you and me because of the blood of Jesus. You and I have blood in our veins. That blood is the source of life. That blood carries essential 
things like oxygen. I told my story of doing a double red blood cell donation and being short on oxygen trying to ride those hills of Virginia on my bicycle. Blood is an important, integral part of human life. And in the providence and wisdom and mind of God, it was that shed blood of Jesus, the sacrifice on the cross. It grants to us, as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, grants to us forgiveness, eternal life. Are you grateful for that this morning? And I sure am. Let's take the cup together. You're already slipping that cup back in the envelope for me. Thank you. I think we have a plan to come and pick these up in just a moment. But I'll invite those who are going to come and pick them up to do that after I pray and the come. Lord Jesus, we have so much to be grateful for this morning. We're privileged to live in this great country. We're privileged with freedoms of worship, freedoms unknown in some dark corners of this planet. And we're grateful. We live in one of the most, if not the most affluent countries in the world. We have abundance of much. We have so much to be grateful for. You have blessed us with family, with friends. You've blessed us with this church property, this church with its rich and full history. We have much to be grateful for. But above and beyond all of that, we're most grateful this morning for Jesus. We're grateful this morning for the simple truth that God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We have so much to be grateful for. And so as we come to the table this morning, the table of communion, reminding ourselves of Jesus' sacrifice for sin, we're grateful most of all for Him. And we agree with the words of that simple chorus. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me your rich, your great salvation. So rich and free. Thank you. Thank you. We give you thanks in the name of our risen and soon coming King Jesus. Amen.
deal of falling asleep during the football game or in the middle of a conversation with somebody else. You know, you know where that happens, right? There's that tryptophan in the turkey, and that just kind of chills you out, and you fall asleep. So this morning, I want you to leave not with tryptophan, but with energy and life and purpose. Then you and I go out as God's ambassadors to a lost world. Thankful for the cross and anxious for opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Let's do that today and tomorrow and throughout the week ahead. Can we do that together? Have a great week. God bless you.